that's fine. If she wants to go into her own woke religious dogma, then I'm fine with her jumping off that cliff. I just resent the fact that she's apparently trying to corrupt your kids. Welcome to episode number 85 of Grumpy Old Bands for Monday, August 10th, 2020. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where the rioting and looting has finally gone major league. And from America's left coast, where I resent the implication that I would have anything to do with the city of Seattle. I'm Ryan Bimrose. You love the city of Seattle. It's like your adopted home. It's just right there, right outside your house. There it is. The only. The only love that I would give the city of Seattle is sloppy seconds, and that's only if there was an obvious exit strategy. We need an exit strategy. There's no question about that. I mean, well, yeah, Chicago after, has been sitting around. Primary, primary when Jay fucking Inslee got 52% of the vote out of a field of 36. Now, this was a mail-in vote, so we don't know if any of those were actual people, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, mathematically, that doesn't. Well, I guess it does make sense because out of the other people, I don't know. How many of those anybody in the city actually knew the name or, you know, the state knew the name of those people. Sometimes there's too many choices and you're like, well, now I'm overwhelmed. So I'll just stick with the guy that's been doing it because, I mean, you know, things seem pretty good so far. Oh, yeah. 2020 has been going such a blast. I can't help but think that everything is golden and we should just vote in all the incumbents again. That seems to be what the leftist retards in this state want. Well, I've been sitting around wondering when Chicago is going to get real and get up there with their brothers and sisters in Seattle in Portland and get the rioting on. And they're, they're finally doing it. So we're, uh, Oh, good, good. You've got rioting now. Yeah. Well, there was another police shooting yesterday in the Englewood neighborhood of Chicago, which is one of the more dangerous neighborhoods in Chicago. I mean, let's forget about the fact, I mean, depending who you're going to hear the news from, if I got the facts, right. And these things are always kind of fluid, even a day later, but, you know, depending who you get the story from, some people will be like, cop shoot 15 year old black kid. And, you know, the people that are telling the story correctly would be like, cop shoot 15 year old black kid after he takes shots at them first. Because uh, that, that that was an unimportant detail that, yeah. that could be left out of the story. Yeah. yeah, I do think Chicago might have it right. And something that that I'm not sure Seattle, you know, Portland's starting to figure it out, maybe. But I'm, I'm just not sure that the left coast is ever going. Chicago is on board to reduce the number of democrat voters not through propaganda or trying to convince no through attrition through genocide through just let enough of them shoot each other and eventually they'll stop voting democrat because they'll be dead well actually they it's chicago so maybe they will continue but you know the interesting thing here is this shooting happened in the afternoon yesterday and the riots started just after midnight this was not something that was a knee-jerk reaction it's obvious to anybody who watches these things and understands what's going on with these autonomous zones and these riots and looting that's been going on throughout the country this isn't something that a bunch of random people just decided to go do at the same time randomly these are you know uh, yeah they're events that are set up they're waiting and they were waiting obviously in chicago for a trigger 
they were like, okay, yeah. the next time there's a cop shooting, we ride. Yeah. They, they, you know, here, here's a list of, of the things that could happen that we'll use as triggers. Okay, good. Let's just wait. Cause statistically it's going to happen any day now. Yeah. Uh, you know, the funny thing, Trump declared Antifa and I don't, I don't know if he did it with BLM said it is a terrorist organization. I'm not sure that that's right. I feel like, uh, it, we, we should be going against these like we went against the mob back in the 20s. This this is organized crime. Yes. The, the foot soldiers are doing the work. The bosses at the top are financing, enabling and directing everything. Why not prosecute them like the mob? I mean, seriously, good. You you arrest and you can catch and release all the foot soldiers you want. But unless you go after the people at the top, the people directing it, um, I mean, a.k.a. the Democrats, but they're probably actual names involved this is never going to stop you you you've got very wealthy people with political agendas who are directing these useful idiots to go burn down parts of town on command and let's stop acting like these people are doing it alone let's maybe i don't know follow the money that would be a good idea follow the money and in this case the the difference in the scenario in the narrative this is a little bit different than what happened in Seattle and Portland, where the mayors went, well, you know, they're kind of just like kids being kids. They're doing they're just having a they're protesting. They're doing something where we we're behind them. We 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 want to give them our full support. These rioters and looters who are destroying our city. Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago, not on that page. So this is an interesting little twist here because she is called upon on the page. Does she even know how to read? I don't know, but she's called upon court officials and the state's attorney to make sure anybody who is arrested is held accountable, quote, to those who engaged in this criminal behavior. So this is good already. She's calling it criminal behavior, not yeah. protesting. Oh, is, is this is this like Seattle where the criminal behavior is not providing enough support to the terrorists? I'm, I just want to be clear here. I know because. Let, OK. To those who engage in this criminal behavior, let's be clear. We are coming for you, says Mayor Lightfoot. Ooh, we are so all she gets them excited. Yes, we are already at work and finding you and we intend to hold you accountable for your actions. There is no justification for criminal behavior ever. You have no right, no right to take and destroy the property of others. This is not acceptable anywhere near acceptable, she says. So I'll applaud her for this. Wow. Now, this is okay. not what you expect from a Democrat mayor, is it? No, it's it's not what I expected. Especially, no, no, it's not. Uh, it, it is. It is at least some evidence that she might be doing the job that she was elected to do, which is, yeah, not what I expected. It seems like a switch was flipped for her. I think maybe it finally got to the point to where or, she or went, somebody got to her. Well, maybe, you know, one or one of the two things, you know, either she figured one, her approval ratings maybe been going way down and if she wants to keep the job she realizes that you know even in chicago you have to have law and order or the people who have the money who pay the taxes are gonna go we need a new mayor well i i mean there there's the law and order thing is whether or not a lot of these mayors think that's what they're looking for this is what people want anybody who's like yeah well we need you know racial injustice overall that they're they're really not getting that most people just want to live their lives and if their house is being burned down that interferes with living their lives so law bit. and order is is kind of the order of the day 
And maybe what Mayor Lightfoot wants is, uh, I, I don't, I mean, this is crazy because it would be ascribing human attributes to somebody that hasn't shown many of them in the last few months, yes. but maybe she just wants people in her city to stop killing each other and destroying their own property. Well, there's no doubt that the spotlight's been on her from the president on down. A lot of the the conservative media, anyway, you've been hearing this from me a lot when you when it came to the whole concept of Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's great that you want to burn down whole cities over one guy, one black guy who was killed. But you want to ignore the multiple black children killed in Chicago every week, every year, tons of them. You don't want to mention that, though. So there's a hypocrisy there. If black lives really matter, she's still. She still has to make sure that the people paying her paycheck, a.k.a. the lobbyists, uh, that they're I mean, she doesn't stomp on their political goals. The one quote I did find interesting from her was we are not going to let our city being be taken over by criminals and vigilantes, which I'm like, wait, okay, who are the vigilantes in this case? (laughs) Uh, People who don't wear masks. I guess the ones we can tell who they are. Yeah. You know, over 100 arrests overnight. 13 police officers hurt. It's uh, it's a war zone. From what I understand, Chicago, if you work downtown Chicago, you're not going to work today. The police had all of it was a multi pronged thing. One, they had all of the expressways in and out of Chicago, the entrances and exits blocked off. So you're not getting in or out of Chicago via the expressway. They shut down public transport. They shut down the trains going in and out and they raised all of the bridges because there are you know, there's areas of Chicago where there are drawbridges because of the the rivers and stuff there. So it's become a very interesting game, I think, for the people that maybe I, were. I in- think I've seen that movie. Wasn't it a Batman movie? Kind of. It, it does. It they, does kind of sound like one, doesn't they it? They were like people are rioting in the middle of the city. Quick, raise all the bridges to trap them there so that people can't can't escape. Is that I think that was what the government did. I'm not real sure. It would seem to be a valid maneuver. So I would say, unless you have a jetpack or a boat, <laughs> you might be caught. <laughs> I, or I, no, I mean, a catapult. Yeah, well, that's true, too. There, there are other ways. You just have to extract yourself from the situation. So this is a very fluid story. It'll be something that'll be interesting to watch. Just mainly the, the thing that hit me was the Democrat mayor coming out strongly against what's going on. And that is a first with any of this stuff. So it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if it's lip service as mentioned in the troll room, or if this is just a turning of the tide, it's also possible in all the nationwide polling, maybe that they're seeing these riots and looting is helping Trump's numbers because for <laughs> because, the, because people want law and order. Yeah. And it seems like the pollsters that people trust, you know, the gallops and the, you know, it, there's a lot of polls you just can't trust. But the ones that are usually pretty decent are showing Trump and Biden like three points apart again. So this is maybe going to be the reason why that the Democrats are going to go, oh, wait, this this whole civil unrest thing. People don't yeah. like that. They're not going to vote Joe Biden. in. does anybody think Joe Biden? has any control over his own bladder at this point. I don't know how he's going to control rioters. Yeah. And maybe what, one other thing that they might be thinking of is that they don't want Chicago to turn into what New York is actually on target. New York is now on target to have less people in now than they did last year. Yeah. We have the, the exodus from New York city, especially is 
it is actually challenging the exodus from California. And it's rightfully so, there, because the one there's the actually taxes. talk about there's talk about uh, the doing the census in New York. There were some people who were very, very concerned because uh, because bureaucracy is, of course, incompetent. The census got delayed. And there's talk about can we make sure that our census records actually track from April, which was the original date that the census was supposed to be timestamped. Right. Because if they record it now, they're going to have something like 200,000 fewer people from people leaving. I don't know if that number is accurate, but, but it, I mean, some people are really concerned. Like, well, oh God, we might not have as much political power if people keep leaving. Right. Oh, you're absolutely right. Because I finally had to fill out the census because I finally had a, a census Nazi at the door. And I just didn't, of course, didn't answer the door, but finally went online and filled it out because I really don't need to be hassled. And, um, oh, I do. <laughs> it was, it was interesting to me that they're like, okay, who was living there as of it was, I think, April 1st. And it was interesting with all of what was going on before COVID arrived, where everybody worried about the 96 different genders. You could or could not be that the census was so hateful that it only listed male and female. I was very confused by that. It took me a long time to figure out what I should fill out. I wasn't sure if I wanted to make that kind of a commitment. But uh, then the interesting thing was when you choose Caucasian or white or whatever they had it listed as, they made you then fill in a box with, can you be be more specific? And it's like, screw you. No, in fact, part of the reason why I have never filled out the census thing online is that I attempted to fill out the form just to see what it would do, and it would not let me leave the race blocks blank. I do not identify as a race, and nobody in this country should, because that is how you get racial discrimination and racism. You cannot prevent racial discrimination and racism when you think about race and you can, in fact, if you don't know, if you have no way of knowing what somebody's race is, it is actually not possible to discriminate against them. That's so I, I'm, I'm not self-identifying. Gummy Nerd says he was able to leave that box blank. Mine wouldn't let me. But you know what? I thought about being a smart well, I, ass, although it's, it's tied I, to your I, I thought it's tied I wasn't to your able to leave it blank on the, on the website. What I did occur to me was to uh, send in the paper form that I got. Because it's paper, you can leave anything you want. Right. Like, right? It's like they're not like you cannot mail this until you fill it in. But I, I kind of was really I, I wanted to. I didn't again because it's tied to your address. But I checked you know the box for white, and when it said to be more specific, I thought of typing in black. Do you, do you remember back when uh, you used to be you, you, there? Certain whites, like say the Irish, used to be a racial minority and and were discriminated against yeah well that's I why know. i put irish in there i went full irish oh, even though, okay <laughs> yeah why not i want my yeah, wait you, if we're getting reparations man aaron go bra send me some yeah. whiskey bitches you and joe biden yeah good old uncle joe he's got AFib. <laughs> oh i've got AFib. i feel i feel bad for joe i i i would feel bad for joe if he would acknowledge that he is not suitable to run the country and just be a decrepit old man and then i'd have pity for him but until then he's no (laughs) i think he'll be doing that like right at the most inopportune time we're now seeing stories that kamala harris november 4th yes where i don't think kamala is getting the nod but now you're seeing like oh their advisors are telling her don't take that job you don't want to be vice president like wait a minute they're like oh you should be attorney general it's like wait so attorney general is all of a sudden better than vice president 
when Biden kicks off, attorney general don't become president. Well, in in the case of Biden, yeah, the VP is basically an a, a DNC appointment for who they want to be president. Yes, it's kind of just a short waiting period until you're president. I think. So, I have no idea what to talk about today. Uh, however, I have uh, 37 lines on election shenanigans. Some of it is is overlap from last week, but I got more. I uh, got a couple tech stories and I got some stuff on authoritarianism. Well, wait, do you want to spin the dial? Where do we want to go? You've been listening to MoFax, haven't you? Do you want to spin the dial? I, not willingly. Wait, wait. So who is it now? Adam Curry or MoFax? Which one came to your house and forced you to listen? I, it was it was those people in the troll room who seemed to like it or like it. And you stopped taking it out of the stream. OK, fine. But no, that wasn't. You're trying to deplatform the Podfather. What are you doing? That's not a good idea. <laughs> well, he said it couldn't be done. Right. You know how contrarian I am. That's right. Adam Curry says nobody. Yeah, we can't be deplatformed by Pembroke. Is like you put me in charge, man. Yeah, that was my not, beer. That was not a good idea. <laughs> um, I mean, really, we we promised more tech stories, so we can go the tech route. I mean, I wouldn't okay. even have started. With. I actually have a couple tech authoritarian stories. Well, see, then it all fits because I wouldn't have even gone into the whole political thing if it weren't for the fact that Chicago decided to burn down last night. But let's let's I mean, okay. tech's a little so bit more fun. I well, let, let's maybe. start in. Let's start in Chicago. Um, you you may be aware that uh, Illinois. Uh, I'm not sure if this rule comes from Illinois or from Chicago itself, uh, but they have orders that you cannot travel to the city without uh, from certain states without quarantining for uh, uh up to 14 days and of course people are not following this because not only is it bullshit it also happens to be unconstitutional uh i had a really good uh long discussion about that for episode 82 of grumpy old bins that we didn't get to but it's still in my notes if you want to uh hear some more about it but effectively uh the the, the story now is that um Chicago is now whenever somebody comes in, if it has any, you know, if it wants, if it wants to investigate somebody for not quarantining, uh, they are looking at your social media. Yes. They are looking at if if you post on Facebook, hey, here's me next to a giant shiny bean, then Chicago authorities be like, yeah, you didn't quarantine. So arrest. It's an interesting thing. I saw, I saw the same thing, of course, being in Chicago, that one I don't know who tracks you coming into the state or city and well, they, they do at airports, well, the, yes. possibly at bus and train stations, but there's no way they can, if you're can taking, they stop everybody who gets on the freeway. Yeah. You're taking your own personal vehicle into the state. But this, I mean, the funny thing is here, all of the Democrats putting in these kind of controls that were so pissed when Trump shut off the flights from China, when this thing started, because you know, that was just obviously racist and hateful. So. Now we're doing this on a city and state level that if somebody dares come into our territory, we need them to we need them to comply. But the social media aspect of this is interesting in the sense that it seems to be a no brainer. I mean, it really is because people are lemmings and they're going to use their social media. You don't need to hire real private investigators to go follow people in the real world and the way it used to be like 10, 20 years ago. Now you could just hire a bunch of interns, you know, probably 18, you know, 20 year old college kids who just scroll through social media, looking for people 
that are breaking quarantine. It's sad. uh, Law enforcement has known for 20 years that social media is a goldmine for finding really, really stupid criminals. This is trivially easy to get around. If if you think that you're going to enter Chicago and, and get grief over not quarantining, then it's pretty damn trivial to, oh, I don't know, maybe not post all those selfies to Facebook and Instagram. But people, I mean, you know, the main thing is people, people who, who readily use the excuse, well, I have nothing to hide. Uh, congratulations, you do. Uh, you probably just don't realize it. I'm sorry that your imagination is insufficient to realize all of the things that you have to hide and that can be used against you because you are spewing data left and right like COVID viruses all over the social media just by going there. Uh, I. Yeah, you have something to hide and and yeah, they're going to use it against you. Well, and this is just the outlying stuff. This was kind of you know interesting to me because the other story we have on tap goes right in with this, which was the story that the Wall Street Journal covered as well as others about the business of renting, well, selling, renting the space within your app to nefarious, possibly third parties and this is something that i never really considered i mean we've talked about privacy here on grumpy old bens and i remember both of us talking bringing up the first thing we've mentioned privacy once or twice i think (laughs) once or two thousand times yeah but we talked about which app on the android phones we always go back to hey you know even those flashlight apps and the question always became well one why is the flashlight asking for all those permissions so one people are stupid for giving the permissions but i had no idea there was such a huge market of third-party people who want your data that would go like oh let's see uh, sir bemrose has this app he's selling it's the sir bemrose flashlight isn't that cute that's awesome they come to sir sure. bemrose and go yeah um we'd like the gps data of anybody using your app can we buy that from you And and just to be clear, from the perspective of an app developer, if if I am making a struggling app, which is unable to get any, you know, is struggling to get a foothold in the app store and say I've made, you know, six hundred dollars lifetime about the app, which doesn't even cover, you know, the development. And somebody comes to me like, yeah, we'll give you five thousand dollars to just put this SDK in. I'm like sold. Yeah. I just had no idea it was as big of a business as it is. And once you realize this, once you realize that any random app that you install might be spying for somebody that has nothing to do with the app, that they just sold the access to your data. Like for the government? Yes. Oh, exactly. For the government. You're getting at a tinfoil hat territory. This is some serious conspiracy theories. If it's 2018. Well, yeah, because this year, it's just common sense. I mean, there are a lot of things that the government cannot do that private companies can. So you have to look at this and go, well, how many now of these applications that people just randomly put on their phone? I mean, there's the ones making big news, obviously, like TikTok. But there's I got to admit, I think it's cute that you think there are things that the government can't do. No. Well, technically, legally, they can't do, but they can get the information. We've seen this a lot. When it comes to, well, you know, the United States legally can't spy on citizens. You know, the CIA can't spy on citizens within 
the borders of the United States. Well, you know who can't? Well, the UK. <laughs> and we just happen to have yeah, a deal with the that. UK. So we go to it's so it's legal for the United States to go to the UK to get the data that they can't legally get themselves. So you've been you're seeing the end run here. Oh yeah. Yeah. The 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 phrase public private partnership should should it doesn't, but it should strike fear into the hearts of every single person because the only reason why you ever do that is that you want to blow taxpayer money on a project that the government is not allowed to do. Oops. Yeah. So um, I, I, I wasn't sure if you were going to be transitioning into this anomaly six story, which you're the one who, who sent it to me, but um, it, it was fascinating to read, but I wanted to, I wanted to get uh, you know, your take on it before I start going in and, and deconstructing and shitting all over your story. Well, that's what you do with the anomaly six. What's anomaly six? That's the uh, that was the the uh, uh, private company, the private contractor, which is uh, it was formed in uh, October of 2018 in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, This was the Wall Street Journal article that you sent me. Right, right. And that that link will be in. Um, They were formed in Alexandria, Virginia in 2018. Uh, for the purpose of creating an SDK that could be used in apps. What does this SDK do? Nobody really knows. It doesn't actually seem to have any API attached to it, Uh, but it does collect information and it does send it somewhere. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And anything that's out of Virginia. I mean, there's nothing to worry about at all when the stuff comes out of the D.C. area. That shouldn't send up more red flags to anybody. But, you know, some some things are wholesome out of out of Virginia, like D.C. girl, but it's tough to me. This was just the tip of the iceberg at realizing what kind of a what kind of a market there really was with this selling of the data. And it's completely legal, it seems. And because people are willing to give up this information and a lot of this, you know, like you said, people have the concept of I have nothing to hide that right next on that list is, well, you know, Sir Bemrose's flashlight company. I got nothing to hide from them. What do I care if they know where I am? They don't even consider the fact that you're giving the information to Sir Bemrose with selling. selling yeah. And so I'm not giving it away for free. I'm selling your data. Well, you are, but they're giving it. So they're giving it to you. You're selling it. And they have no idea that this could be going on or nobody usually thinks about that. They're like, well, he's just he's making his flashlight app better somehow. By if, if he knows I'm in an area where it's dark right now, the flashlight, maybe will work better. So he needs the GPS. Yeah, it, it turns out the flashlight is just slightly brighter if it has full access to your file system. <laughs> it once And once it has your uh, social security number, all of your contacts. And the nude photos you took at the Christmas party, then it'll work perfectly. What nude photos? It's scraping Instagram now. <laughs> well, it could be. It could definitely be scraping your photos. I mean, that's the oh. that's one of the um, you know boilerplate yeah, things oh. these Android apps want. Like, um, we need access to your uh, scraping photos off of my phone. You're going to end up with a hell of a lot of pussy pics, cats, maybe felines. <laughs> I mean, the best cat woman was Julie Newmar, but I digress. I had that conversation the other day. I, I you know what? I'm, I'm not sure I need to argue that, <laughs> but I will. I will. Here's here's my assertion. Uh, everybody that's ever been poured into a tight leather cat woman costume 
they're okay with has, you. It's been, yeah, it's been okay to look at. Yeah. Um, the fact that the character is rather one dimensional and, and the story is, is a bit bland, but, uh, it's eye candy. Yes. Well, and guys are easy. We hate to admit it, but I think that goes without saying, but I just said it. So ignore all of that with the app contractor. The fact that it was a government contractor. Yeah. That should add to the fun of who's getting your data and where they're getting it from. And this really was put on my list to point out the fact that Ryan was absolutely right when he said, don't install apps on your phone. I mean, I some of them tired of people saying that some of them you might actually use and are useful. And, you know, but the least amount, the less that you can put on your phone, the better, because you don't know that Adobe could be selling your, you know, they could have let this guy government contractor put his little you know his little pause right there into your data and they're just funneling your stuff out so if you're like well there's nobody i'm worried about on my phone who's leaking my data yeah you you probably want to think about that you know yet again and i was surprised our buddy comic strip blogger who doesn't even want us to let people know what country he's in in europe he put tiktok on one of his burner phones i'm like it doesn't matter that it's a burner phone they're still gonna track you i mean symbolically you can then burn it (laughs) Oh, that's true. You could take the phone, take the battery out. Otherwise, it might explode. Never put a phone with the battery into a fire. You you take away all my fireworks. I do. And I want here. Here was a question the comic strip blogger had for you. And I told him the answer you would give. But I just want to confirm this with you. He says that. Well, his question was this. If TikTok is sold to Microsoft, would that make them? quote more trustworthy um i who who is them well because i can't think of a single trustworthy party anywhere in this scenario that's kind of what that was his question if tiktok is sold to microsoft do they become a more trustworthy organization no because silicon valley companies uh like to purchase other companies not because they want to hire the talent. Well, usually when a Silicon Valley company wants to purchase it, it's not because they want the talent, although that's a nice bonus. It's not usually because they want the code. Code is easy enough to write. It's because they want the business model. They want the ideas. They want the patents. And uh, if TikTok's business model is make a ridiculous amount of money over on the network effect by selling people out, then Microsoft will never, ever, ever do anything to jeopardize that business model, not even go legit. No, which is my question with this whole TikTok thing, because Trump's going, and I think rightfully so, that it is a huge privacy concern. But I don't know what is the real difference, whether it's a Chinese big company who maybe is feeding it to China or Microsoft, who's probably feeding it to China. Um, it, it is slightly less likely that Microsoft is entirely in the hands of the CCP. For the reason, for two reasons. One is the CCP is slightly more limited in their ability to use strong arm, like violent strong arm tactics True. on U.S. soil. Uh, they, you know, on Chinese soil, they literally can just send troops into your building, and be like, uh, we own you now and you're not going to do anything about it. Um, they have to be a little more circumspect on U.S. soil. Now, admittedly, there's lots of economic cudgels they have at their 
fingertips and and they're don't seem to be shy about using that sort of thing. But the other reason why I think Microsoft is a little bit less in the pocket of the uh, of the Chinese Communist Party is because they are at least a little bit in the pocket of the Seattle Communist Party. You know, I, have to, the, I have to wonder. They, they have more masters. Does the CCP, do they use Windows 10 or Windows 7, I, Windows 8? What do what they use? I would bet that they do you you know what you know what if i had to guess and i i I have actual statistics on this from 10 years ago um the vast majority of computers at uh at official chinese government installations are pirated copies of windows or at least they were they were 10 years ago 10 years ago we knew we said we have you know we have strict data about this many windows installations but we have other data that suggests that there's this many installations, uh, mostly in Asia, which are not getting their telemetry pings through the firewall, but we're getting enough, uh, enough support requests and enough other data, like, like website hits and stuff like that to suggest that there are millions and millions of, of pirated computers in China. And you, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm certain that a lot of those are the government. Why would the government want to pay money? For something that they can just steal, it, it, there's there's lots and lots of evidence that the Chinese Communist Party is not above a little bit of industrial espionage and and straight up stealing technology. Why would they pay for Windows? Well, yeah, and if, and if Microsoft was smart, they would then recognize when they're behind the Great Wall of China and they're with their pirated software, and then just create a VPN tunnel out to get the data back to Seattle, so they can then use that against the ccp so i mean i mean really when it comes down to blackmailing maybe you could give the advantage to microsoft over china maybe maybe so on the topic of china i actually do have another tech story this one is uh, a little bit frightening um but it i don't know it could be hopeful i don't know uh the great firewall of china was updated maybe a week ago ish nobody's quite sure uh to block all tls 1.3 traffic uh that is HTTPS uh, using the newest version of the uh, of the standard. Um, now, if uh, if you recall from Grumpy Old Ben's number eighty, uh, I pointed out some vulnerabilities in GNU TLS, uh, which allowed trivial plain text recovery in every version of TLS one point one and one point two. Uh, that was used well at least the the gnu tls versions um there are other reasons why uh you know tls 1.1 is insecure tls 1.2 is cracked both of those if you have enough computing power you can crack the uh the protocol itself um but even if you don't crack the protocol um if if you happen to have one using running these these vulnerable versions of gnu tls then then your traffic is completely open. So the only version that was relatively immune, um, you know, even the even the GNU TLS vulnerability required, if if you're running TLS 1.3, it required uh, an active scan, which is a little bit harder to do, especially on the on the scale of an entire country. Right. You're you're going to DDoS your firewall if you try to do that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, the the specific technology that they're trying to block is called ESNI. Uh, which is encrypted server name indication. It is uh, a way uh, that was developed with HTTPS has always had uh, encrypted payloads, but for a long time, the, the metadata and we've, we've heard 
talk about, you know, the metadata is the most valuable stuff. Um, metadata includes what site are you uh, visiting and what is the payload or uh, not, not what is the payload, but like how large is the payload and you get headers and there's, there's a ridiculous amount of data that is not encrypted in the HTTP payload. Um, so this ESNI allows you to encrypt some of your headers, which includes uh, encrypted, like it, encrypting the server name is my understanding at least. So what this means is that with a strong version of, uh, of TLS, the, the HTTPS protocol combined with the server name encryption, uh, the great firewall of China was not able to inspect every packet and tell where you were going. Ooh. And some people might be going to sites that are, uh, uh, seditious and, uh, you know, violate the tenets of the Chinese government, like, um, anywhere that they can learn that things don't suck as much outside of China. Uh, I mean, not that uh, they, they're probably fine going to wall street journal or New York times because, uh, it, it, those are already communist pub- publications, but going somewhere like the free bacon, um, Mises, uh, reason.com RT, there are a lot of places out there, which tell stories that that the chinese government doesn't want them to do so well to be fair the nba doesn't want you to read those places either well no but yeah but i don't want you to read the nba right you to look at the NBA. i don't want you to i never want you to speak the the words nba on this show ever again that that place has been relevant to me exactly none you know but anyways the chinese communist party has decided because they can't currently crack the TLS 1.3 and peek in so they can filter based on domain. They're just blocking all HTTPS traffic that uses the higher version of the standard. Well, that doesn't seem right. Well, what I think, what I see is the going to be the effect of this is that they're actually going to be, if, if there aren't already a a lot of places where, especially if, if you have some properties owned by say Hollywood or uh, a number of Silicon Valley versions where, their business model relies on making sure that they are accessible to China. What, what you're going to see is um, the TLS protocol being backed off to 1.2. You're, you're right. going to see a lot of people intentionally making their uh, HTTPS implementations less secure so that they can get through the firewall because they want those sweet, lucrative Chinese market dollars. And it's going what it's going to do is hinder the adoption of TLS 1.3 which has been rolling out but not as fast as the standards people want of course well and they want google wants everything to be using the https which i never understood but this is a uh, it's a weird thing because i know larry from that larry show asked me that the other day he said well somebody told me that since i don't have a certificate that google's going to start dropping me in the rankings and it's like well yeah probably because that's what Google well, the, does. The, the HTTPS label is it, it's a scarlet letter that Google's trying to push out. That That is more virtue signaling than anything else. There is a lot of payload that does not need to be encrypted. And when we had uh, the, the last time we had Progo on this show, he he made this point better than I could. But uh, if I understand the, the the problem with HTTPS, there is a lot of content that uh, like uh, static images, like uh, your 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 like button, your banner, your masthead, um, most static content, anything that doesn't contain any personal or private information doesn't have to be encrypted. 
But through this badge of shame program, Google is forcing website operators to uh, get to get certificates and burn the the CPU cycles and the to encrypt all traffic, even if that traffic is just an up arrow image or something like that. And so at this point, uh, you know, Larry has been called out by somebody who wants to signal that they care about a secure and private internet. But I tell you what, I, I bet now that China won't allow it, that uh, Google will not be pushing the TLS 1.3 with HTTPS. They'll be like, yeah, well, let's go ahead and make sure everybody uses uh, HTTPS 1. or TLS 1.0 because uh, that way we can still say you're secure and we can show the lock icon in the browser, even though it's trivially hacked. Right. Let's be insecure for China. That's uh, the way we're going. And well, they don't want to be seen as insecure. So being able to put up that lock icon and make everybody jump through the hoops of getting a cert, but then making them use an insecure protocol that that's pretty much. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we we can we can crack it because we have the computing resources, but we don't why we want you to think that you're secure. Right. Well, that's exactly it. It's the illusion of security and granted the. The way they do the encryption and the CPUs that we have now make this less of a hit as far as performance goes, but it is still a performance hit. And I don't understand why things like, you know, the grumpy old Ben's episodes, the MP3s, why they would ever have to be encrypted. It doesn't make any sense, but they don't have to be encrypted for the purpose of keeping the content private. As a matter of fact, the fact that we are putting this out publicly means that we don't have any particular interest in keeping that data private. The reason they would have to be encrypted is because somebody is going to slap a scarlet letter on our website and say, these people are bad because they don't encrypt their traffic. And that's what will force us to do it. That's that's what forced uh, Void Zero to encrypt the no agenda download feeds You know, a, a couple of years ago was when People were saying this podcast app won't download no agenda anymore because right. you're not HTTPS. You're not secure. We don't know if you are who you say you are. It's like, hey, if you know those guys, you know, they don't need the S, man. They don't need the S. It makes it worse. It makes it. It's all garbage. And it's a it is. It's it's very similar, I think. And you can tell me because you're the tech guy when it comes to programming and stuff. This is this is the illusion of safety like the mask. This is. Oh, you see. Seeing that little lock is the same thing as seeing a mask on somebody's face. I have I have an an unpopular opinion when it comes to securing things. And and this is this is where I kind of divorce myself from a lot of the quote unquote security experts out there, uh, many of whom really know what the hell they're doing. But there's a big difference between security technology and security policy. And my opinion on security policy is that the amount of effort that needs to go into securing something should be proportional to the uh, necessity of of having it secure uh, to how important that data is uh, in, you know, I, I came up, I, I started to approach this when uh, I was signing up for a forum in 2007 and I, it was, it was, I wanted to, I wanted to read one article and the forum had it set that only people who were signed in could read. Right. And in order to create an account, you had to go through uh, a recapture and then you had to create a 
27 character password that had four capital letters, six lowercase letters, three numbers and a demonic glyph in it. And I'm sitting here going, this is just to get access to download something. This is way too much security. Uh, I had exactly the same problem with my, uh, I, you know, with my account at Microsoft where, um, the, the IT department at Microsoft would enforce that your computer absolutely must lock if you have not pressed a key or moved the mouse in five minutes. And I disabled this every time and I got into some pretty serious arguments with IT people and even my management saying, listen, if I have gone over to the whiteboard and I stand there for five minutes working on the whiteboard, nobody is walking into my office to hack my computer while I'm there. And you've just locked my computer and forced me to enter this password, which of course had the crazy password requirements. You know, the, the password requirements of, of you have to, you not only do you have to have this 27 character password, but you also have to change it every 40 days regardless. And it can't be anything like your last 25 passwords or something, you know, there, I, I, well, okay. The, the password policy, I kind of understand that, that you, I mean, that's important to secure, but trying to secure my login to a web forum that I'll never bother going to again, or trying to secure something online that is not worth securing. I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, is it's, it's an old philosophy that anything not worth doing is not worth doing. Well, I just want to point out that that like 14 minute diatribe came as an answer to. So wearing a mask is pretty much the same thing as the S after the HTTP. I, I had it on my mind. I, I understand. I get it. I mean, Reddit just got hit I was with feeling some a little hat. ranty. Yeah, well, no, you ranty. I don't believe it. People tune in for the rant. And I'm sure you felt really bad that Reddit had so many problems with, uh, I guess, their moderation accounts being hacked and people no, putting no, up pro really. Trump stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of over Reddit. Really? You don't do Reddit anymore? No more? You, yeah. You've cold turkey? Well, no, I still I, there. There are a couple subs where I will go and read things in order to get notes, because there's still a few places where sane people will post stuff but at this point even even in the same forums the number of comments that are just completely hive-minded is it blows me away i i here here's how over reddit i am i don't even go in to downvote all of the people who are completely fucking retarded anymore <laughs> that used to be a part of your day oh yeah every time i read a story i was like okay let's go to the comments and downvote everybody who's saying something stupid well the comments are horrible especially on news sites i don't even know why sites like fox news let people comment because they're never useful <laughs> they're always just the the worst of humanity Wait, do you you mean the comments are never useful or fox news is never useful lately both. I could go either way yeah lately both are getting getting right up to that point microsoft never implemented like those little uh, cool key fobs so as long as you were within like you know 20 feet of your desk it would just unlock it magically for you you, you know the funny thing is they had uh key fobs which was uh, well, it was NFC in order to get into all the buildings. You you swipe your badge, that sort of thing. Um, you, you could you could do that. But then, of course, you know, what's to keep somebody from leaving their badge in their office when they leave? Right. Or somebody killing I, you. I, I absolutely understand the plight of corporate IT where you have to implement your policies for lowest common denominator. But I, I'm I'm not the lowest common denominator. And yeah. So, I mean, like like the people at Twitter who were involved in that huge. Well, I don't even want to call it a hack because it was just a scam 
when they had people call him up, a 17-year-old nonetheless, where it's like, yeah, I'm from IT. Uh, I need to turn your computer on and off again. And then uh, just. I need- and that's exactly the same the type of thing that corporate IT policies are trying to defend against when they say shit like uh, you need to change your password every five minutes and make it 74 characters. Right. Because that's going to stop the person from giving that to the person who calls up and says, I'm from IT. I, I, I mean, no, there's that's why that's why most ID departments need to have a cudgel displayed on the wall. I mean, at some point there, you just need to use rubber hose, cryptanalysis and, and uh, behavior adjustment. Do you use two factor authentication on anything at this point? Yes. OK. Now, would you suggest not most many. people use that? Uh, not for as many things as people use it for. Um, I use two factor authentication on, uh, very, very important accounts that, uh, it would cause me real damage if I lost them. Um, I resist two factor authentication for things like, uh, logging into a, a social media account. You know, I, I don't have two factor authentication on my Reddit. So that, by the way, that's an invitation. Anybody out there who wants to (laughs) hack me. Um, you, my, my, my Reddit account name is not that difficult to find and you can go there and you can read my entire post history and you can even modify it. But since my entire post history is nothing more than, uh, every message has been edited to a message says, fuck Reddit. Um, (laughs) you know, good luck with that. But you had a bad uh, breakup with Reddit. I, those people anyways, uh, no, I don't use two. I, I use two factor authentication on really important stuff, uh, that that I uh, that can cause real problems for me if I don't have, uh, you know, for example, my uh, my primary email um, I, that that one is pretty damn well secured, at least partly because everybody uses email as if it's an extra key into the accounts so that right. bypasses every other security lock. So, yes. Yeah. If you can monitor that email, I've never really understood that when uh, Google, for instance, and I, I understand you can pick at any of these places, but. When I would go to do stuff and you'd log into a Gmail account that you say hadn't used in a long time, it'll send a warning to the email account you just logged into with. There was an access at this time. And it's like, but you're sending it immediately. So the person, if they're in the account, will see that and then yeah, just and delete, delete it. it. <laughs> yeah. Now, it might be more helpful if you sent that randomly, you know, an hour to five hours later when the person wasn't right in the account. But I digress. That would be outside the box yeah, thinking. Or, 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 you know, if you have the means of of using, say, a second factor of communication, uh, I mean, for example, sending an SMS might be an appropriate response. But sending an email doesn't seem you know, the sending an email to tell you that email is compromised does kind of fails the laugh test. Yes. And Progo says his power company in New York City required two factor authentication. And for resetting it, if it got out of sync or broken, it required exactly one factor for you to receive an email. So really, as he points out, it's one factor pretending to be two factors. So security theater, yes, which is, in fact, I mean, you you want to see a pandemic in the tech sector. Security theater is it trying to discern the difference between what is an actual useful security measure and what is something that exists only to provide the appearance of being secure. And unfortunately it people, maybe rightly so people don't want to bother themselves in the details of, of what works and what doesn't, but it, 
I don't know. There, there's one school of thought that tells me if if you are going to participate online, you need to make yourself aware of the dangers of doing so. It's kind of like you know, do do we do we teach people not to to look both ways before crossing the street? Do we teach people, uh, you know, they, just because that guy says he has candy, don't get into his van? We teach people a lot of really really basic self defense and and. You know, I processes ideas, get, give them clues about what can you do to survive in this world to avoid the most common, obvious things like, uh, you know, don't don't uh, go into a dark alley with a grumpy old Ben, that sort of thing. And yep. we don't tell people this online. We're just like, oh, yeah, sign up here. Just, just sign up for an account here and and go. And uh, oh, I'm sure you download a browser. It's all good. Trust us. We'll protect you. Well, and it adds. OK, one the way that you do some of this two-factor authentication and there are different ways of doing it but i bought one of those yubikey things and then just really never set it up it's still sitting in my drawer here because my thought uh, process was this one once you add the yubikey to something so if i added that say to my main email or my banking account and then i lost the yubikey or it got broke now you can't get back into those accounts it well, does not, not without just sending an email using the one factor the program was talking about. Well, yeah, depending on how people let you reset that, that I guess would be something to look into. But, you know, reading the forums, which can be dangerous, they're like, well, really, the best thing you could do is, you know, buy two UbiKeys and set them both up at the same time and then just put one into a lockbox or something. So, you oh, know, my God, and it's like, uh, yeah, nobody does, does that. No, I mean, it would be great. Uh, it, it, it's, it's hard enough getting people to getting people on board with, hey, you should probably back up your data because hardware fails. Yes, hardware fails. Oh, this is the kind of things you see with some of these Bitcoin wallets where they give you like 26 random words that you need to then get back into your account if you get borked. And then, you know, people lose that and you, you, your money goes away. I, I, I had I had somebody ask me a few weeks ago. They said, uh, uh, I my hard drive failed. It won't spin up anymore. How do I get my data back? And I said, you load it from backup. What's that? What, what do you mean? I don't. I, why, why, why would I, I, I? Nobody backs up data. Well, the people who want to keep their data do. Congratulations. It's gone. Go out, make more data. Yes. If you think your data safe, it's not if you don't have at least, well, one backup at the very least. But for things that you make sh- that you really can't lose, I'd recommend at least two. But it all depends on what you really can't lose. and. When it comes down to the two-factor authentication, I mean, it is, it does add a pain in the ass to the whole, you know, I just want to log in and oh, check yeah. my email and having to, having to search around be like, okay, I want to log in and check my email. Now, where's that other thing nearby? See, cold acid oh. is doing exactly what I just said, it has two YubiKeys. So he's a guy that is a tech professional who knows how to do it right and is taking the extra steps. But that's probably uh, one tenth of one percent of the people using them. Yeah, that uh, for one thing, you're weird just for having a YubiKey. Nobody <laughs> does that unless there's some kind of security freak, or you know, just want to play with the latest two, toys. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to have two, man. You got to have a backup, of the, backup like, of the backup, yeah. of the backup. I, I mean, ha- having two YubiKeys is like podcaster level paranoia. Yes, you need to have all of the data secure. And you you make those choices. And that's exactly what I came down to. It's like, well, I could lock everything up and I get it. Doing it on your bank account would make sense. My bank account does it automatically just because if I go in, 
on a different machine or a different browser or a different IP address. They're like, we need to call you with a four digit code that you put in. So there is, I mean, even though it's not the best two factor authentication, they're doing it automatically. So I really kind of feel like, you know, if I had a YubiKey to this thing, that would be a real pain in the ass. But uh, how again, much of this do you think it may, might be just to uh, like, like uh, Progo's example with the two factor authentication, which is, is completely useless because you can reset the key with one email. So it's really just an email authentication. Um, how much of this might be just to, to push the needle and get everybody used to this in order that maybe we can institute better security methods later and not have them trivially defeated by the kind of person who would attach the password to a sticky note on the monitor. Right. Maybe we haven't really come that far from the whole password on a sticky note or in a note. Well, I was going to say if if that's the goal, it's not working. No, I was wondering if that was the goal. And most people still just use regular words with maybe, you know, when these when you're forced to add just a numerical code. I mean, I, I, I shudder to think of how many passwords on the Internet are a dictionary word followed by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine or zero. Guessing a um, lot. Most of the cracked ones, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, there was I saw somebody the other day that was like one of these uh, these services. Maybe it was a VPN or something like, well, hey, we'll let you know if your accounts have been you know, cracked or uh, compromised because they follow these lists of email addresses and stuff. And, you know, they take a look at your password, even though they're in the, uh, you know, they're hashed. So it's not in you know plain text. They're encrypted. But still, it's like, that's worrisome to me. I don't want people looking for that stuff on my behalf. Yeah. <laughs> Back in 08, I used to have a. I I did the the awesome policy of using one password everywhere I went, uh, which was a dictionary word, and, and it wasn't everywhere. It was it, it was my way of getting pissy with all of the websites that were saying you, you know you have to have really really crazy high security. I'm like, no, I just have to download a fucking driver, and so I used the same clear text password for all of those sites. It was, it was my throwaway password for sites that I knew damn well that there was nothing there that I cared to secure. Right. And, uh, it's funny going back there now, um, every once in a while I come across something and and it's like, you need a login. And I'm like, okay, let's go ahead and try the login with that old password. <laughs> it still works. And it still works. And then I'm like, yep, not going to trust anything to do with the account on this because Sometime in the last 12 years, I guarantee some database has been breached that had that password in plain text and somebody has to have gone around and used, you know, my, my password from there. You know, this, by the way, is the way it works. And the reason why you never, ever use the same password on uh, multiple sites is uh, one site will have a breach and somebody will pick up the breach database and immediately go use that email and password on as many other sites as they can think of hoping to get in. And if you use the same password, they'll get in. And now this company, you know, this site where you've never had a breach, you, your account is now hacked anyway, because somebody got in with a password you used from a site that did get breached. Yes. Now, the other way to get around that a little bit is doing what I've always done with since Gmail came out with this and other, I think, email systems work the same way. But you can add 
plus whatever you want. So instead of Ryan at grumpyoldbenz.com, you can put Ryan plus sucks ass at grumpyoldbenz.com. It'll still yeah. get to you. And, and that helps. Mm-hmm. It, it It's not a panacea, but it does help. Yes. Especially it, if, if somebody can trivially get from your uh, social media or any other clue online, what, you know, what email you're using or or what your login might be. The password is supposed to be the secure part. Trying to secure the email side is or the username side is just security through obscurity. Yes, but it makes it much harder for people that are just taking the list of usernames and passwords and trying them somewhere else, because instead of, you know, being Ryan oh, plus uh, whatever site you're on. So, you know, Ryan plus Reddit at whatever this, you know, it'd be it's, Ryan plus Twitter. It's another layer of security that defeats certain type and, and that the, the purpose of security in, in computing uh, first of all, this, this is going to be a hard pill to swallow for some people. Nothing is completely secure. No. At some point, a motivated enough attacker will be able to throw enough computing resources at this thing in order to break it open. Um, the entire point of security is not to secure anything because that is impossible. The reason you use computer security is to raise the cost of breaking into your uh, system. Yeah. and. And so every layer that you add raises the cost a little bit, which is why uh, even if you even when you don't use the most secure things out there, adding lots of layers of security will significantly decrease your chance of of getting compromised. Yes. And as we should still be using good security if something is worth securing. Lie on your privacy questions and uh, try not to use the any similar passwords. Don't use those. But yes, you're right. There's a lot of people at any given time going, I'd like to see if Scarlett Johansson has some nude photos in her iCloud account. So I bet you there's more people going after that than after, you know, your I. Well, you don't have an iCloud account. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty fucking secure on that front. You are. You have the security. But yeah, China. I mean, I get it. I understand what's going on there. I understand why they're making those changes with the HTTPS. They want to have all the data and people are trying to have them not get all the data and this is the constant thing going on yeah. on the internet i i I'm, I'm really bothered that this could significantly hinder the adoption of of the new version of tls which is the, the whole reason why there's a new version is because the previous versions are insecure which also happens to be the same reason why china is not blocking them right right well yeah a lot of the software is which is why so many it seems of these exploits when they're found and it's like, well, this has been around for the last 10 years or the last 30 versions of the software, you know, state actors could be using that. And it might not have been a bug at all. It might have been a backdoor designed to look like a bug. Well, it's only it's only a backdoor until somebody reports it as a vulnerability. <laughs> yes. Then you need a new backdoor. And China's got yeah. a lot of them. So uh, on the topic of vulnerability, um, this, again, was something that we had uh, from er- earlier this week but, or last week. But um, how about that Snapdragon DSP chip? Well, everybody that has the new Samsung phones like I do are really happy to know that the chip is that insecure. Oh, yeah. Well, I, and, and here's uh, here's a quick um, the rundown on on what's going on. Um, the. Android operating system, uh, there's a lot of things that it doesn't do well on the main CPU. And in order to work around that, uh, phone manufacturers have uh, commissioned a great many uh, side-loaded, dedicated hardware chips. Uh, 
These are uh, add-on chips that handle specific features such as uh, quick charge, multimedia. Uh, most audio is done in a, a side load a DSP chip. And, uh, uh, oh, by the way, uh, fingerprint analysis is all done in a DSP. Now, uh, what's the problem with these things? Well, they are uh, a specialty printed chips with ROM code, which cannot be modified. It cannot be patched. It cannot be updated. And it is a black box for the API developer. Now, from a security perspective, having functionality that is a black box can be helpful because it means that you can't download an app that immediately compromises your fingerprint reader or in, you know, uh, you know, it rewrites your quick charge function so that your phone explodes when you plug it in. Oops. It's kind of handy that that doesn't happen. Right. Uh, but the other problem with a black box chip is that you are relying on uh, Qualcomm or whoever manufactured your chip to assure you that it has been fully tested and hardware. People are not software people and um, hardware testing is a very different thing. So uh, one of the places, even, even when I was working on windows seven, one of the places where we found was rife with bugs was every single time that a hardware manufacturer had to write software like a ROM uh, this, by the way, was the entire reason why we developed the HD audio standard, which was the standard that says, no, no, you build the hardware and, and Microsoft will write the driver because you people fucking suck at writing drivers. Does anybody remember the Realtek AC97 driver crap where every single time that you, you know, you plug one thing into a, your Windows XP system, then then every output would go all crackly for no reason. And then suddenly it'd start dropping samples and your microphone only was one channel locked or something like that. The, yes, I do. The, ha hardware people are crap at writing drivers in general, which is why Microsoft put, made the push toward uh, class drivers is what they're called, where we just say, okay, you write your hardware to do this. It's a very, very simple spec. You can get that right. Your hardware people just make this input, cause this output. And we'll make the driver for it. And that is why starting with Vista audio got a whole lot better because uh, the driver was the one it's, it's why you can plug a new device into windows and it just works because the driver's already there. It's written by Microsoft. It's installed with windows, but anyway, um, yeah, the, the hard, the, in the case of these DSP chips, um, the only testing they're done is they, they've got, hardware people testing the DSP chip and apparently not testing the ROMs that come with the chip very well. And then those chips are all shipped to, you know, the, the people who write the, the operating system, Samsung, who takes the Android software. And then, you know, they, they have a number of programmers at Samsung whose job it is to add all the crapware that you can't uninstall. And, they don't have any access to any of the software on these ROM chips. The ROM chips are just handed to them, so they can't do anything about it. Google can't do anything about it. And a company called Checkpoint uh, went ahead and started investigating these DSP chips that are shipped on many, many, many phones and found, quote, a large number of vulnerabilities. Um, they allow a, when, when you find, you know, there, there are classes of vulnerabilities, remote code exploits and, and data collection, uh, it, 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 the specifics of what the vulnerabilities, they're not published, but they're also not that important. It's, it's, you know, it's generally understood in hacker circles that once you find one vulnerability that allows 
arbitrary code execution, you own the phone because you can always jump from that to anything you want to do. And there's, there's plenty of those around. Uh, so these will do things like allow any DSP controlled system to be used against the phone owner, uh, to be used to, uh, you know, to allow, if, if you can run arbitrary code, it'll actually allow you to, uh, use the DSP chip as an undetectable botnet. Or if they're feeling generous, they can just shut off that functionality. So your, your fingerprint reader stops working. Or they could just DDoS your phone. So all of a sudden it's useless to you. Yeah. And, uh, of course it goes without saying that, uh, once you have the ability to arbitrarily write an executable part of, of the operating system, especially one that regular apps and even the operating system doesn't have access to, that becomes a really, really tempting place for malware to hide that malware that can't be removed from your phone without bricking it. Well, yeah. And the, the headline really is the fact that these are things that cannot be fixed. So with the fact that, you know, Samsung, well, they, they can't be patched because it's a ROM chip, right? Well, and with that said, then once these things are found, you think Samsung's going to go, hey, just, well, we'll just replace the phone for you. No, everybody's screwed. Uh, no, no, they're going to release a new model of the phone and then it's <laughs> going to be a feature of the new model. Spend another thousand dollars or thirteen hundred dollars to buy this new phone. And the feature that you get is that a hacker can't trivially decide to turn your phone against you and yeah. you know, and, and turn on your audio to play uh, a sine wave at full volume yeah. 24-7. Yeah. All of those put yet after. That's the that's what you're buying. The well, fact that they well, can't I, do these things yet. Yeah. Well, not until the next vulnerabilities are found, of course. When the new phones come out. It's amazing. And and, and the, the constant stream of vulnerabilities are the main reason why the the refrain from software companies is always make sure that you take updates the moment they come out. I'm sorry if you release an update every five fucking minutes and only one in 20 are security updates, then I don't trust you. But that said, it is very important to apply security updates when they're available precisely because vulnerabilities are found. Now, this particular class of vulnerability can't be fixed with an update, anything short of buying a new phone, congratulations. It, it's almost as if they planned to put in this. I, I, I don't I don't believe they did. But could this have worked out any better if Samsung had planned for these vulnerabilities to be in and released at this time right before they have a new version of the phone that doesn't have the vulnerability just so that you can go out and buy the new one? Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before, but the concept of the hardware turning on you seems relatively new still to me. It was just either that it wasn't people weren't exploiting this stuff with the older chips, or is it just that the new chips and these new systems are so complex that this is just a part of it? Because I mean, I was always software being an issue, but the fact that you're having now problems with Intel CPUs, now you're having problems with all these Android devices where the end result is, yeah, it's insecure and there's really nothing you can do about it. So have a nice day. That seems new to me. When when a when a developer and and I use the developer term loosely, but uh, the way that a feature tends to to take shape is I want to do this. How can I do this? And then you say, well, we can just pull this component, this component, do this, bring this in and make everything work. And it all works when you give it the right inputs. It gives the right outputs. Congratulations. New feature. Give me a promotion. And most developers do not. Training somebody how to tell a computer when I give you the right recipe 
give me the right output is is intuitive and it's the kind of thing that a a creative and logically thinking human can figure out but it, it does not come naturally to developers to say yeah but what about the 100 million other inputs that i can give can we make sure that it doesn't behave pathologically when given wrong input that is a uh, hundred times harder than just writing the thing. And that means that there's uh, only one in a hundred people who develop who are qualified to really understand the security implications of what they're doing. And big organizations like Microsoft would have security experts who would spend all of their time reviewing the detailed development plan of every single feature. And the reviews would come back with, you can't do it this way because this is, you know, th- there's this vulnerability and you can't do it this way because th- this exploit and you actually, you know, if you need to do this, then you need to wrap a mutex around this to avoid uh, a concurrency problem, which will result in this being overwritable. And these are really hard things to notice. It's not something that it, even training a lot of people just can't really get the idea that wh- when you give very, very wrong inputs in a s- very specific order that that the soft how the software will behave in a way that nobody ever thought of because who in their right mind would but i mean the 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 modern vulnerabilities go past uh you know can you write code past the end of your stack pointer right and now are things like uh you know when you flip this bit 700,000 times back and forth in a particular pattern you set up a resonance wave in the other bit which happens to be near it and the result is that it if you do it enough then it flips this other one which then can be leveraged into going down a code path and the the kind of stuff that nobody would ever think about so yeah it's complexity it's when you when you add enough complexity to the system then the ability to reason about how it will behave in every possible input goes out the window and it's really hard. So security really hard. It, 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 I consider it a, a spinoff of, of software testing, which is just not something that most people are geared for. Well, and the platform of the cell phone, I think makes this a whole lot worse. This machine that I use daily, if somebody were to hack into this, it has no ability to see me because the webcam that I use when I make videos rarely or go online is unplugged because it's a USB thing that yeah, I have to physical plug in. disconnection. That's the right way to shut shit off. Exactly. Same thing with my microphone that I'm using right now. It goes into the Motu. And when the Motu is turned off, the microphone don't work. There's no way to get it to work. There's no power. It just doesn't work. So if somebody were to hack into my computer, yeah, there's some data. I mean, they'd be able to get a lot of cool music, uh, pictures of some Victoria's Secret supermodels. Uh, but otherwise, there wouldn't be much there that would be unencrypted if they actually Hold did. On, I'm, get- I'm sorry. Are you issuing a challenge? <laughs> Not yet. Maybe. Um, I know you did that once and nobody broke into your system. So it was it was pretty safe that I know of. That's true. That is true. Our audience is about 10 times larger than when you made that uh, made that challenge. Although if people are listening to the back issues of grumpy old bends and a lot of people are saying they are and yeah, um, here, here's the criteria for a successful challenge if i find out that you hacked into my computer then you lose yes that's uh although i mean if you find out because you turn on the computer one day or the monitor pops up and it says cold acid was here then you know 
he got away with it. So there well, is either that or I, I programmed it to do that while I was really drunk. <laughs> and it seems like what I might do. That could be. I could see that. But that is the difference with the cell phone platform is there's a lot of people would be like, well, I'm not worried about this. I just, you know, use my phone to, you know, text now and then it's just, you know, something I keep with me for safety. And they don't realize that if the phone is owned, somebody that really wants data on you could turn on the microphone at any time and listen to what you're saying or what's going on in the room where you are. They can turn the cameras on and see where you are, see what you're doing, or maybe catch something that they could use to blackmail you. And they can certainly easily get your GPS data real time, anytime, day or night. So this is the the cell phone platform makes the hacking so much worse than just ah, somebody can get into my laptop or desktop that the the whole well, concept is so much worse. What, what makes it worse is the increased capabilities and the increased reliance of, on these things in our lives. We we put things in our cell phones that that 10 years ago we would never have even put into our, our work computers because, uh, oh, computers can be hacked or or just because we don't use it. it we, we do a lot of things now with our cell phone. We we put our, our health data into our cell phone, which was something we never considered doing on our you know, we we put our 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 menstruation schedule into our cell phones. <laughs> I mean, you're, uh, well, you're probably I mean, clear right now, right? I, I, I'm good right now, but uh, there's a lot of I don't know. It's hard to tell through all the fur I'm looking at. But we we put a lot of information that things that we never would have thought to add to our computers because these weren't applications. But nowadays, uh, it, the phones are such an extension of ourselves. So you 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 know the the amount of very very personal I- connection that we have with our phones combined with uh it is actually quite difficult to uh get to get patches on some of these things uh the the incredible complexity you know a phone today is as complex as a computer was in 2016 2014 they they really they're they're crazy complicated and they're not open especially in apple is the scary one on this because nobody can test apple's software except for apple employees um the at least with with things like windows you could go in with a debugger and crack open a dll and be like this is making calls to this thing that's really a lot harder to do on a phone and almost impossible to do if if this thing's going on in a custom chip which is now where all the interesting stuff is going i think that uh we might be on our way to the kind of security crisis that that derailed windows longhorn uh back in 02 maybe yeah i'm that was uh i'm just looking at something here but uh i'm sorry <laughs> I, I i didn't mean to get distracted here i was just looking at the next article up for up for bid and i know okay. it's going to trigger you so it's, it's kind of it's kind of exciting well, no, do, you, do you want me to bring up something or have you got it? No, I got it. But this okay. I'm sure will trigger you. Now, here's the quote from a professor at Brooklyn College. I mean, you know, take it with a grain of salt here. Now, what do you think she was referring to when she said it, quote, reeks of white supremacist patriarchy? Um, I don't know. I'm still on the menstruation app. <laughs> well, see, you should be using the I mean, if you have all that fur. I'm surprised you weren't using the manscaping apps that have been pushed on who are these podcasts now. 
but nobody wants that um, uh, that I, visual. No, there there are bits down there that I don't want a blade anywhere near. Something reeks of white supremacist patriarchy, and it's not something most people I think would uh, would equate. <laughs> See what I did? There was a little a little pun. Um, but uh, the answer to this question. Brooklyn College professor of math education, Lori Rubel, argued that the mathematical equation two plus two equals four reeks of white supremacist patriarchy. Okay, so um I I I don't know what set of, of fucking tenured retards gave her a a professorship in math, but that is not uh that that is not a person who understands or or believes in math. She teaches math education at Brooklyn nope, College. Nope. No, no, she doesn't. She says <laughs> basic math is white supremacist. I, I, I'm sorry. I there there is nothing to nothing to do with this idiocy that that is related to mathematics. She wrote in a tweet the idea that math or data is culturally neutral or in any way objective is a myth all capital letters m-y-t-h yeah you know it's the kind of myth that we we put on the voyager probe 60 years ago because uh somewhere along the line people a hell of a lot smarter than this dumb bitch decided (laughs) or realized that the language of mathematics is in fact one of the only things that transcends all human languages and therefore one of the only things that would be understandable to somebody who had never been to earth it would make sense. She says, I'm ready to move on with that understanding. Who's coming with me? So she's trying to rally people that math or data okay. is not culturally neutral. It's all a myth. That's fine. If she wants to go into her own woke religious dogma, then I, I'm I'm fine with her jumping off that cliff. I just resent the fact that that she's apparently trying to corrupt your kids. Yes. She says, quote, well, not my kids, because I don't have them along but- with the. Of course, math is neutral because two plus two equals four trope and the related and creepy math is pure and protect math reeks of white supremacist patriarchy. I'd rather think uh, citation needed on nurturing people and protecting the planet with math in service of them goals. Now, I don't know if she meant to say in service of them goals. That kind of sounds you know, like a little Billy Bob Thornton to me there in, uh, in Sling Blade, but. I, I can understand those goals. Maybe just mistype. You know, in, in any other year, this kind of idiocy would just be laughed out of the public. And, and then I'd I'd accuse you of cherry picking stories saying, well, you know, <laughs> a, a, for every stupid thing that can possibly be said online there, there is somebody out there willing to say that. I, I don't know if that I, I don't know if that's a, a well-known aphorism, but if it's not, I'm going to call it Bemrose's law of the Internet. Which is that for every stupid thing that can be said online, somebody out there is willing to say it. And all you have to do to find it is go run a search engine and cherry pick. And I would accuse you of trolling if it weren't 2020. Several academics, according to this article here on Breitbart, from institutions around the nation chimed in. Harvard PhD candidate Kareem Carr suggested that math should be reevaluated because it was primarily developed. (laughs) by white men quote people say it's subjectivism to ask if math is western i don't get Uh, that til ancient egyptians were white i I 
that was kind of what I thought that this started in the, in more of the Middle East and uh, in, in Africa. the The basis of math, you know, the basis of current formal mathematics was developed in uh, the original Persian Empire, which at the time was the intellectual capital of the entire ancient world. The, those guys really had it going together. They, for example, are the ones who invented uh, the number system that we use today, called the Arabic numerals. Why is it called Arabic? That almost sounds like it's Arab. Because it came out of Arabia. Because what? that's where the number system was invented. They, you know, their number system was significantly improved over the Roman numeral system for one simple reason. They had a zero, which allowed you to express a lot of concepts that were really hard to express without it. And therefore, their system won out. Fletcher said the Chinese are white now. So you heard that here first on Grumpy Old Ben's. Yeah. This Harvard. I, PhD- I, mean, I mean, the. The first, the, you know who the first humans were who came up with math? I don't know either, but I'm betting they were in Africa where humanity started. And so, I'm betting they weren't white. It's a pretty good guess. They were, you know, we're, we're working on that. Like, oh, I got one. Now I got two. There was a concept. Well, I mean, how- there, there was a time when being able to count and do basic arithmetic was the difference between whether your village had enough food for the winter or died and went hungry. Unfortunately, today, we don't place restrictions like uh, if if you decide to redefine math, then I I I feel like people who say one plus one equals you know basic arithmetic is racist. You know what we need to do? We need to devise some new math on their their paychecks and be like, okay, so <laughs> the amount of money that you made here's here's your salary, here's your income, and so the check we're going to give you is zero because you think that other numbers are racist. Congratulations, you're fucking fired, bitch. You get no money. Now, so this other guy, Harvard PhD candidate, says it's an and a quote. It's an objective fact that some groups were more involved in the creation of modern math than others. They yeah, may have ancient been humans were much more involved in the creation of ancient math than oh what he says they may have been trying and trying has the little asterisks on either side to make it objective. But it's not stupid to ask if they actually succeeded. Uh, yes, yes, it is. It, it really is stupid to ask that. And as something, I don't have a math degree as you do. You don't. You don't need a math degree. <laughs> but I think I, it, it, pe- professors like this make me ashamed of my math degree. These concepts just seem very if, logical if, to prove. If this is if this is the state of of mathematics in, quote unquote, higher education institutions, then I don't want a math degree. I I'm perfectly I, I learned I learned math by reading textbooks that that were based on concepts of some uh, admittedly a lot of old European white guys like uh, you know, Copernicus and, uh, you know, they, they, um can't remember uh, anyway I, I, there were there were a lot of big names in math who came up with some great concepts uh leibniz uh the people invented calculus that that it, who cares i don't give a crap what the, the, you know what i'm reading isn't even what they wrote because uh you know leibniz who invented calculus was german and um i don't read german so I probably wouldn't be able to take down his notes. So somebody transcribed. And for all I know, the person who transcribed was a black transgendered lesbian. I don't know. That's really not an important part. That's orthogonal to whether or not the concepts are sound. Well, and that's the, 
that's to me the interesting and important thing about all of this, which is two plus two equals four is true regardless of who it was that first figured this stuff out. But this is why we're seeing this tearing down of history to be for everything. Just to be uh, logically strict here, two plus two equals four is true by definition. Well, it was also true that, you know, George Washington and the founders created this country and that's being changed. I mean, this is this is the same type of thing, I believe, is that, well, you know, we can change that. We can change this. The, the, the standards in in mathematics are are significantly more stringent than that. There are. There are historical facts which were recorded by a person, but the uh, things like two plus two equals four was not uh, it, it was not discovered for one thing. It, it's unlike most science. It was not discovered. It, it was uh, and and unlike most history, it was not something that was was recorded and then became so uh, fundamental facts of mathematics are. They are given as facts because you start from a base set of axioms and a set of rules and you use those rules and the axioms and logic and critical thinking to construct the entire system. And you can't pick out two plus two equals four and call that specifically wrong because it is if you if you have the basic ability to use logic and you understand the rules from which it was created, then it it necessarily follows with objectively with no human interaction involved which is why the, is saying that any particular the traits of any particular human are even relevant is even less useful to say in math than anything else now you can argue that the axioms that somebody started with or the rules that they have chosen are wrong and we can have that discussion and trust me lots of people way way smarter than this dumbass have argued it over the years and maybe if she'd read a book instead of just calling them all racist um she she might have learned that but you can't just arbitrarily pick something out of math and say well this is wrong because somebody said it when we're not saying it's wrong she just said it reeks of of white supremacist patriarchy doesn't say it's wrong (laughs) almost all sciences but math more than anything else it it is a pure science, and that means that it is its its tenets are completely independent of outside context and the color of the skin or the gender of a person who originally wrote something has is is context and and math the you know arithmetic knowing that you can add one to a number forever and get higher numbers is is one of the rules that that we accept in arithmetic and you can challenge whether or not that can happen but you can't challenge that the 40th time that you do this it comes up with something else because of the patriarchy that violates the rules and therefore the moment you violate the rules you're not doing math you're supposing things and you're supposing wrong yeah and it seems like a very racist and sexist thing to say and it seems like well you're against it because it was you know this concept that something must be bad because it originated allegedly, you know, with that white supremacist patriarchy. I'm, I'm I'm against taking anything and bringing in completely pointless orthogonal facts like the gender or skin color of the person who originally came up with the idea and somehow 
coming uh, you coming to the wrong conclusion that that means that the idea has changed I- ideas are independent of the people who speak them that is absolutely true and math can be one of the few sciences that it can be proven over and over again through calculations so and i guess what i'm what i'm saying is you were right i was triggered by this story i figured it would i figured this one would get to you and i'm i'm betting that uh, professor Lori Rubel, even though she thinks that two plus two plus equals four is reeking of white supremacist patriarchy, I bet you she's got an iPhone. I do. I bet you she's got an iPhone and an iPad and thinks nothing of it, even though this was technology that was created by two white guys in a garage. Okay, for that, I'm going to read you an article that I found in Forbes. (laughs) Is this a punishment or is this this an attaboy? Which is this? I, I did. No, I did say Forbes. Oh, okay. It's a punishment. The World Health Organization has suddenly gone from crying the sky is falling like a cackling chicken little to squealing like a stuck pig. pig. The reason? Charges that the agency deliberately fomented flu hysteria. The world is going through a real pandemic. The description of it as fake is is wrong and irresponsible, the agency claims on its website. A WHO spokesperson declined to specify who or what gave this description, but the primary accuser is hard to ignore. The Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe a human rights watchdog is publicly investigating the WHO's motives in declaring a pandemic. Indeed, the chairman of its influential health committee, epidemiologist Wolfgang Wodarg, has declared that the false pandemic is one of the greatest medicine scandals of the century. Um, let's see. Even within the agency, the director of the WHO Center for Epidemiology in Munster, Germany, has essentially labeled the pandemic a hoax. We are witnessing a gigantic misallocation of resources, 18 billion so far in terms of public health. They're right. This wasn't merely overcautiousness or simple misjudgment. The pandemic declaration and all of the klaxon ringing since reflect sheer dishonesty motivated not by medical concerns, but political ones. Unquestionably, swine flu has proved to be vastly milder than the ordinary seasonal flu. It kills at a third to a tenth the rate, according to CDC. Data from other countries indicate it's far tamer than that. This is a 10-year-old article from Forbes on the H1N1 pandemic that WHO declared and was blasted by governments all over the place for saying that swine flu was going to kill us all. Well, they're on the right side for this one, Forbes. (laughs) They learned. They learned. See, this is math. They learned what two plus two equals. No, no. Forbes, Forbes knew this 10 years ago, somewhere along the line. The media got a different agenda, and now, the, obviously, the new pandemic is real. It can yeah. be, well, it, it's again, I get the stuff coming out of the gate, and I fully gave everybody the benefit of the doubt, because before the data comes in, there is a hurry up and we have to do something mode. But the data is coming in, and with the schools getting back into, into swing now in, in some areas, obviously, some areas they are not. But as we've mentioned before, the the crux of a lot of these stories has now changed from the COVID is deadly to all sorts of other scare tactics. You're going to have, I mean, really go down the list, long-term neurological issues. You're going to have long-term heart issues, long-term lung issues. You're going to have, uh, I mean, uh, all sorts. It seems like anything in your body could possibly fail if you get COVID and it'll never go back to normal. And it is it's fear porn. And, 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 and that's true of, of I mean, theoretically, that's true of almost every virus. It's certainly true of respiratory viruses because the respiratory system is really important in making sure that your body has um, oxygen to 
live. Uh, but it's it's not that COVID is this you know complete uh, game Novel. changer. COVID is it, it's a respiratory virus. It is a real virus because, like like we already discussed earlier, they don't you know when when they decide to set up these fake pandemics for the purpose of of you know selling vaccines or whatever the hell their agenda is. Um, they don't have to manufacture something new. They just pick and choose a seasonal flu virus and say, this is the one that we're going to talk up and, and turn all of our propaganda machines and all of the publicity on. And yeah, uh, it, it has some very serious complications in a small number of cases. Guess what? It's the flu. Yes, it does. People die of the flu every single year and we don't destroy our entire way of life because of it except this time apparently because because what of what is starting to look more and more like a scam well it's it's an election year in the united states so that's always a good sign for it being overblown for political reasons and for those that would then ask the question well why would the rest of the world go along with it then if this is just a presidential thing in the united states well the answer is globalism yeah that's it nobody's burying the lead here yeah I, I mean when when you have people from you know eu leaders and and democrat party members coming out and saying the only way to fight this is one world government and not not even hiding or not even hiding it behind words you know people who uh who was the democrat candidate who actually came out and said uh you know if elected president the first thing that i'll do is turn the country over to the UN for a complete control of the United States or something like that. Sounds like a Democrat. It, yeah, I, I don't, I, I was pretty sure that came out of one of the candidates. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's the kind of thing Obama was trying to do, but he at least had the sense not to say he was doing it. Right. Because we knew there was going to be a large amount of people in the country. You'd be like, well, wait, no, we don't want that. There's, there's something, I mean, the rest of the well, world is screwed up. Still, there are still some people in this country, very few under 40, but some people in this country who, who think that the United States is still not a bad idea. Yeah, that it's an exceptional country that was based upon the right foundation. I mean, are there issues anywhere? Sure. But there's issues in every family. If you want to bring this down to a very small, you know, much easier to manage level. I mean, every family has issues. People fight. People have relationship problems. There's all sorts of things that go on. The concept that everything is going to be perfect and nobody's going to get screwed, not reality, but the concept that the system is built in a way to make things as fair as possible for everybody. And it's a system that has the ability to continue to improve because of, you know, freedom. That's not something you have when you go to socialism. That's not something you have when you go to communism. It's been tried, people. Show me one time in the history of the human race that socialism or communism created the ultimate utopia. I'll wait. Uh, Garden of Eden. When there were only two people. Congratulations. Yeah. That's when it works. <laughs> things, yeah. Things would have been great if they hadn't added that snake. You had that third. Yeah. You even had a pet that's going to screw things up. Yeah, it's, it's, it did not scale well. Bemrose, it did not scale no, well. And, and, and it doesn't. Uh, the the socialism is in fact the the default human reaction the, the way of working when when every person that you know is part of your inner tribe which 
you know, de- depending on context, your inner tribe might be just your family unit, which if, if you try to examine in a political frame, a family, um, you generally either have some kind of a, a benevolent monarchy or you have a, a socialist type of situation. Um, it, it, it's true if you get a commune of a, a dozen people or so. Um, it, it's even true in an isolated village of less than a hundred people where everybody helps the village out. Everybody brings what they need. It, it is in fact the default whenever, uh, resources are scarce and everyone's in poverty because the only way to survive is for everyone to pitch in and do their part and share according to need that that is how very small societies work. Um, well, hence that, local government in the United States. Yeah, this is why your local town has its own mayor and its own whole everything. Yeah. And, and, and socialism as a way of gathering humans in a commune setting, whether that be a family unit or as large as an isolated village, it really works. And part of that is because the, the human brain is capable of knowing, understanding, and most importantly, caring about and loving up to a hundred other people. Beyond that, socialism requires a hierarchical structure and it requires a state because the moment that people don't know each other, they don't trust each other. And then they are not willing to freely and openly share everything they have with somebody else because that is, you know, it, that lack of trust is what causes bad people to be able to take more than their fair share. Which, uh, wake up socialists. If, if you have a society and you put humans in it, some of them will be bad and some of them will break your, your vision of equality because they're assholes. That's just how humans work. Some of them are assholes. And, the system that human humanity evolved for dealing with people when you don't fully trust them, but you're not openly at war with them is trade. We, we realize that in order to keep equity, we just allow people to enter into voluntary exchanges of value while still maintaining their own things. And that's how it works between villages, uh, you know, isolated villages. That's how it works. Uh, in in very large cities or, you know, large city for the ancient world was 800 people. Uh, but anywhere that you you don't know and love and therefore don't trust the other person, you in order to function civilly, you still you, you behave honorably. That's why every ancient religion came up with the concept of honor and the, you know, the whether it be the golden rule or, uh, you know, do, do unto others or. But every morality and, and once you have a system of morality that most people follow and then you have some kind of criminal system for the people who don't and, and then you allow people who don't know each other to interact in, in such a way that they both feel like they came away adv- ad, uh, ahead and they get to keep their own property and therefore they're happy and therefore they can function in a civil society. What I just described is called capitalism, and it is how larger societies evolved. And it is a mistake to try to take the system of governance that works only in a tiny village and apply it to something with 300 million people. Because I tell you what, 299,900,000 of you, I could give a flying crap whether you live or die. And it, it's, I'm not 
I'm not biologically capable of caring whether or not you exist. And therefore, I'm not capable of loving all of you. And therefore, I, I can't function. There cannot be a socialism between us. And did something happen that I missed that where a majority of the people actually believe government can do a better job than the free society can in doing Yeah, that's everything? called public school. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. The public school may, may be pushing that, but that is the fallacy of all this because I don't know people on either side of the aisle, which is funny, that go, yeah, you know, I really trust whoever the politicians are. Doesn't matter even which side you're on. It's not even... I really don't just trust the politicians on the other side. That's not a part of my team. No, my, my default way of filling out any ballot is if I don't want to do my research, I just vote against the incumbent. Yeah, well, a constant churn is there's something to be said for that. And there is something to be said for term limits because it becomes well, and lowering yes. the Enforcing salary term limits by firing squad. Oh, oh wait, that, that might be radical. That's different. But, you know, I also think it's much different. Because it's a nonstop paycheck. And I mean, really, I was an idiot because nobody explained this to me as a kid because I'm lazy by default, would love to sit around and do nothing but, you know, play guitar all day and do podcasts. Nobody told me all you had to do was get elected to be a state representative when you could be doing that, like what, 30, 25, 30 years old. What's the somewhere around there? Because AOC pretty young. You could get Uh, elected for one in this state. It's voting age. So 18. One yeah. one two year term, you get paid for life. I mean, why I, did nobody yeah, tell me about this job? That that is because when you were young, uh, being in government was civil service. It didn't pay very well, but you were giving back to your community. That was that was how it was sold. We missed uh, out somewhere along the line with the constant argument you know, with, with the constant arguments of you know equal rights and pay and prevailing wages and, and the davis bacon act which was one of the most horrible things that was ever passed and it has bacon in it so that's that that's a horrible thing to do to the name bacon I, I i don't yeah i don't i don't know if i've ever ranted about that particular one and the significant contribution of government employee unions uh nowadays uh bureaucracy jobs actually pay better than most private sector jobs and not only that but uh when they they are they are not uh they are not beholden to the laws of economics which means that when for example some fascist jackass decides to place his knee on the neck of the economy and and shut down everything uh then you don't have to go to work for 6 months but boy you keep drawing your full paycheck yes and yeah, that there's been people talking about that too. This whole six hundred dollar thing, like, four hundred dollars. Like why thing. the hell? Why the hell am I still paying public school teachers for not having done anything in the last six months? With the small exception of teachers in Portland who are at least getting out of the house and exercising and and being involved in their community by rioting and destroying it. Well, yeah, they're doing something. At least they're getting exercise. That's that's important. Get out in some fresh air. That's important makes you makes you much healthier but uh there was a story i thought this was just pretty funny a good one to end on something to kind of make you laugh here but did you hear the story of how an erroneous google home update accidentally revealed a 450 million dollar deal they had with adt the security firm i have not heard this but now i want to well this comes down to a guy in reddit so i mean some things do i guess good come out of reddit they might get at least uh 
the uh, you know the spotlight put on them there. No, no, some good things get posted on Reddit. They do not come out of Reddit. <laughs> a Nothing re- good ever came out of it. A Reddit user. Reddit peaked at at misidentifying the Boston bomber in 2015. Yeah, well, that's that's that is true. There was a user named Brazedowl who shared something mysterious with the internet. Quote: Burned something in the kitchen, and the cheap ten dollars smoke detector went off. Then I got a notification on my phone that Google heard the smoke detector going off. Pretty rad, Google, he puts. But the reality of the situation yeah, that is would creep me the fuck out. Yeah. I mean, that I is I don't want Google hearing my smoke detector. Now, now, if my local fire department heard my smoke detector, that'd be kind of a cool feature. But Google's not going to send me a, a they're not going to they're not going to do anything to help. They're not going to send somebody to put the fire out. They're just going to track that and then send the data to my fire, my insurance company, make my rates go up. Well, unless, you know, unless you're a part of this new deal, I'm guessing with ADT, where this could protect you and your family, these devices, these smart speakers listening all the time, they can help you. A smoke detector goes off. Boom. That cheap $10 smoke detector you bought over at Home Depot is now Internet connected. You know, 20 years ago, I lived in a place where uh, the smoke detectors were also connected to a box where if the fire alarm went off, it was automatically designed to call the fire department by itself. Nice. Um, I, I didn't. In fact, I rather liked that system. We had to we had to pay money for it for some maintenance and stuff. But uh, the thing I liked about that system was that the call went to the local fire department. Yes. Not to Silicon Valley. Well, this is just the new kind of stuff they're building in to try to make these devices even more palatable to people who maybe normally not have adopted them as of yet. Because somebody else chimed in, and this seems legit. I mean, again, I didn't prove any of this stuff, but somebody else claimed that they dropped some plates in the kitchen and they broke and they got a Google notification saying possible window breaking in somebody. uh so this, you see what they're putting into these systems to make this work seamlessly with a security system that they're going to be using these sounds in your house, which I don't know if these things are smart enough to know something I, played on a speaker, you know, on a sound I, effect. Honestly, I think I understand what they're trying to do. And if this came from a company that didn't freak me the fuck out, then I, I would probably just kind of call it clever. Well, it, that that it's Google means I'm staying the hell away from it. But it, it does something very simple, though. It's telling people without a doubt these devices are not waiting for the keyword to recognize no. sounds and do something. No, did did anybody have the illusion that for some reason some did that, that these things? Did, did I did anybody think that these things were just sitting there and the only way that they would ever listen to anything you're doing is with the keyword? No. That's Some people not, did. The, the microphone is on all the time. And you realize the amount of data that these things collect. And I've mentioned it a thousand times before, but I'll do it a thousand and one. These, the microphone that's in the one that at least that I got from Klipsch is amazing. Rooms away, it will pick up conversations. So, oh, it's, yeah, it, 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 you've been, it's rooms away right now. And you've said the keyword on this show. Yes. <laughs> And then and then you turn away from the mic and you have to go tell your fucking device to you know, sit, stay, stop. Don't do that. No, don't. But this is you know, the intriguing part. Then when it comes down to everybody can say, yeah, there's some pie in the sky stuff where, oh, there's 
you know, the the concept of, you know, a kid getting beat or domestic violence and way that'll pick it up. And like, but you don't really know what's going on just from the audio. It would be really easy for people that knew, and especially since we have these deep fakes now, as we've talked about, it would be really easy to frame somebody using one of these devices. I'm I'm wondering, uh, you know, at, at what point does somebody come up with an exploit where they you've shine a laser in the window and fake one of these things out with uh, you know, the sound of a glass breaking or something? which causes the security company to come out and unlock the door. And then, you know, maybe you, uh, you stand there by the door and be like, yeah, I heard something. I just want, I'm waiting out here on the, no, it's on better. The porch. Can, it's I, better I mean, because they're probably going to unlock your door using one of these, you know, wireless things. So oh, all yeah. you have to do is plant your raspberry pie near the door, then walk away and wait for them to go check the I, house. I mean, it, it it was months and months ago that you brought the idea that you can fake one of these things out with a laser yes to to the and now that we know that they are listening all the time for particular keys that is going to be a whole class of new exploits where somebody comes up with something that that they know it's listening for and shine a laser at the the device sitting on the living room table i i'm just waiting for the stories it should be good. And if you find those stories, be sure to let us know, because this is going to get interesting now that you're taking things and adding it to your security systems, which could possibly just these are all new keys to your house. The fact my, that my, my security system is a uh, a weapon near the door and a couple of very ferocious beasts. Yeah, those cats. But I mean, the reality is you don't even need a laser. If your smart speaker is close enough to a window or, you know, God forbid, there's a you know upstairs window that's slightly cracked. Somebody on the outside could just be like, uh, Google, unlock the door and it unlocks magically because, you know, it heard the command to unlock the door. And this, this is bad for secure. I mean, this is where two factor authentication comes in. Now, if the smart device, when you got the, you know, Google unlock the front door command went. Hey, I need a four digit pin or something that I would get. But no, that would be too hard. That wouldn't be convenient then. And people wouldn't like the technology or or somebody going to be like, uh, oh, OK, Google, turn my oven to 700 degrees. OK, just, Google, lock all the doors and windows. Well, yeah, if nobody's home. You don't even need to do the second part of that. You could just wait for the thing to explode because most people, you know, you don't have a lot of counter space as it is. You probably have something stored in the oven. That's plastic or paper that's going to just ignite into flames. That's or, a terrible idea. <laughs> I know, but it happens. I mean, I occasionally store my cookie sheets in the oven, but they're designed to be in there. Yeah, I did it once where we had a, like one of those wood things to pull Wait, a like, pizza out. You, what are you using your oven as a bookcase or something? What's going on? <laughs> Some people do because they never cook. And they're like, well, we got a few extra books. But I had one of those little flat wooden paddle things to pull the pizzas out of the oven. And then one day somebody turned it on to preheat without opening up and looking oh. in and uh, turns out wood will eventually ignite. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite, especially oiled wood. Yeah. Which is what, yeah. Hey, whatever you're doing to your wood in the privacy of your own home, sir, Ben Rose, I don't well, want to know um, about it. I, I, I have a, I do have a wooden cutting board with a, uh, uh, a black tattoo on the bottom of one of my, the spiral stove, uh, burners. Nice. So you basically were like in the old West. You were putting the brand on it. Yes. <laughs> Something like that. That's exactly how it works. But hey, we do have a couple of experts for today's show. 
And I like experts. I do too. And the, I get all of my information from experts. The patron saint of all podcasters comes in yet again. The Earl of the Walkman of Buckeye of No Agenda fame, Earl Walkman of Buckeye, otherwise known as Jay Finley, comes in with $100, and we greatly appreciate that. The only comment was, great episode, hashtag mask hole hero. He enjoyed, while he was listening to one of the replays, he was commenting about your story going into the medical building, and he enjoyed the, I just walked out, comment when they started i mean seriously they're not cops they they don't have the right to detain you the only thing they can ask you to do is leave and when that's what i want to do anyway yes like i i mean i actually thought about it briefly i'm like i'm not going to get any benefit out of continuing this conversation i don't need to be here and i left well it was a great story because you're like well they were trying to engage me so i left (laughs) i walked out that's like what are you gonna do you're gonna run after me and then sure enough but I think, yeah, that was unexpected. But if you missed that story, be sure to check it out, because then you find out what happens when when the security guard isn't wearing a mask and comes out to talk to you. That just I mean, I know there should yeah. be some logic. I, I had I had more mask stuff in my notes for today, but you're welcome. I totally decided not to bring it up. Hey, there's always some good mask stuff. So, Jay Finley, we greatly appreciate again. Patron saint of podcasters heard his name on no agenda again yesterday. And I mean, he was just he's looking for another job again. I think all he does is work so he can support his favorite podcasters. He could just take it easy and stop supporting the podcasters. Hey, 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 hey let's not do crazy. I don't, don't want to give him those ideas. Oh, sorry about that. And we also have Keith Von Dyke coming in 10 bucks with regularity. That is a subscription model. He's on over at PayPal. And we appreciate that, Keith. And of course, Harry Hamster, who's come in like two or three times since our last episode. I think he just likes to go into PayPal and send us stuff. And we appreciate that. I, I think that that's a habit that we need to encourage. Yeah, that would be a great idea. I mean, like once a day. I mean, if something happens during the day, just go into yeah. PayPal. Well, it's like it's like lawyers billing is if if at any point during the day you see something out in the, in the street, think that is completely crazy. And and just thinking the word crazy makes you think about grumpy old Ben's. That is a good time to donate. Yes, it definitely is. And we appreciate everybody that supports the Grumpy Old Ben's experiment. I mean, we're heading up on episode 100. I mean, we could probably do the math and figure out when that's going to be, but it'll be soon. And that'll be a big extravaganza. Do we need like a great, uh, a great guest for episode 100? Do we need to do like a best of? Do we need to get, you know, like a bunch of people on? I I mean, honestly, are you going to find any guests better than me? (laughs) Maybe one or two. I mean, certainly not your brother, though. I mean, he really he was good for like one show, but then he went on Hog Story and he told all the same stories. I'm like, this is I've heard this. All this guy's got are like the same hours worth of Ryan stories. He's got to come up with new material if he's going to be oh. back on. He has other stories. He has a lot of other stories. These are just the ones that he likes the best. And and we need to we need to break him out and, and get him to realize that that he's got a whole lifetime of story. I mean, not not as much as my lifetime because he's still a uh, you know millennial. He's not. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, really, he needs to start telling the stories that maybe, you know, but you maybe look into better light because he was really just whining a lot about you on Hog Story. And I was like, I, that's I'm feeling bad for Ryan. And that's never you, happened. You mean kind of like what you do on this show? Yes, that's my gig. This is what I do now. Okay. He's, he's, just checking. He's trying to he's trying to move in on my territory. And you know what? 
I don't like it. Like Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago, I will be coming for you if you move into my territory. I like the tough words. We'll see what ends up happening. But thanks, everybody, for listening, especially when we do this live, noagendastream.com. And if you want to get in on the value for value model, you can do so by going to grumpyoldbenz.com, clicking the donate button or using the QR code for Bitcoin. And there is a snail mail address, P.O. box address for people that want to go and, you know, throw the uh, throw the post office a few pennies, a few shekels to do your bidding. And of course, all the information there on where you can subscribe. And if you get a chance on any of these places that allow you to rate or to write a review for the show, those greatly help. And we're going to start giving some stuff away to people that have written reviews. So if you have a review somewhere of the show, just send me an email, Darren. At, I was going to say randomthoughts.com. And if you do it there, too, that's fine. Darren at grumpyoldbens.com. With that I mean, said, get through. Yeah, they yeah. will both go to the same place, believe it or not. No spam filters here. And I get. Well, I get some spam. But with that said, until next time, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where the mayor's talking big. But we'll find out if she's going to follow through. And from America's left coast, where HTTPS TLS 1.3 is love. I'm Ryan Bimrose.